open your Bibles to Luke 7. Luke chapter 7. If you center your attention on the words of Christ from the 26th verse down to the 28th verse. But what when ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of heaven of God is greater than he. Keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 7. I want to say something uh, just briefly. This morning when you walked in, uh, whichever entrance you came in, I hope there was a young man standing there. and Perhaps uh, some of you might have been overlooked, but most of you, if not all of you, were handed one of these bookmarks. Uh, if you were not given one of these bookmarks, there are some available on the table where the communion is located, the collection trays are located, and uh, you can get one before you exit today. Uh, all we want you to do, we've had our evangelism seminar with the Whitakers uh, over the last several days last week, and uh, what I want you to do is take this bookmark and I want you to seriously consider 10 individuals or families that you know you would like to reach with, uh, with the gospel this year. Over the next 12 months, you've got individuals on your minds, in your hearts, that you would like to see be in a right relationship with Jesus. Now again... Everyone we come in contact with, we understand what the goal is. But these are ten people in your realm of influence right now that you know are lost, that you would like uh, to have a Bible study with, or you would like to see them come into a right relationship with Jesus. Now, we're just going to not collect these. These are yours. I don't need to look at it. I don't need to see it. No one else needs to see it or look at it. This is yours and I want you to give serious thought and prayer to, to individuals. You might have more than ten. That's fine. Write them down and be thinking about it. And we're going to do something with this later on uh, in the next couple of weeks or so. But again, I, I never want to see this bookmark. I don't need to see this bookmark is what I'm telling you. But I want you to give serious thought. And that's something that all of us can do uh, to begin what we would hope to accomplish as a congregation over the next year. And to just simply be about as we exist. And so, again, uh, please take time to do that over the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, give serious thought to that, and we'll come back to it at a later time. Thank you to those who did uh, come, those of you who are excited about what we're striving to do and accomplish. And, uh, again, you can't accomplish it all overnight. You can't just flip a switch and say, okay, now this is who we're going to be. But over time, we've got some things that we do want to put in place here as a congregation to be more effective, not only as individuals, but as an entire congregation.
to be more effective in reaching those who are lost around us. And so again, uh, more to come on that, but please start with that bookmark and appreciate your doing so. Have you ever give, given a good nickname? I have terrible nicknames. I, I never had a good one. I always wanted a good nickname. I thought it'd be kind of fun if somebody knew you as something that, that wasn't your name and, and you didn't mind if they called you what they called you. Uh, my siblings had lots of nicknames for me over the years, and I didn't like any of them. I, I never wanted uh, anybody else to know some of those names that they, that they gave me over the years. I've told you before, maybe, but when I started high school, I was a freshman, and my brother, my older brother, I've got an older brother and a younger sister, and my brother was a senior in high school. So I'm a freshman, and he's a senior. And my brother was one of the most popular kids in all of the school. And we had a decent-sized school. It was 3A school in size, a decent-sized school, and, and everybody knew my brother. Uh, he was popular, he was well-liked, he was the king of this and king of that, and he was voted this and that, and everybody just liked my brother. He continues to have kind of an infectious personality, and people just seem to like him. But I was in his shadow as a freshman, and I didn't always care for that. You know, you're trying to establish yourself, uh, you are new in the school, and you're trying to establish yourself... And my nickname when I was a freshman in high school was Little Or. Little Or. This is the worst. This is the worst. I mean, everybody looks at my brother and they know him, and I'm nothing but Little Or. And so I didn't appreciate that. I really didn't appreciate it. probably told you this too. I really didn't appreciate it when people in my class called me Little Or. I'm not Little Or to you. Why are you calling me this? Even he was most popular in my class. But uh, little or, I didn't, like, I didn't like it as much then. Now I don't care uh, if they called me that because I have a lot of respect and love for him. But I was little or my freshman year of high school. I never had a nickname that I really liked. But here's a nickname that I think is, is just so fabulous. Wouldn't it have been something to be known? Uh, Alexander III of Macedon. Nobody knows Alexander III of Macedon. Nobody appreciates Alexander III of Macedon unless you call him by his nickname, Alexander the Great. What a nickname. What a way for people to know you. I am Alexander the Great, right? I have accomplished something. Alexander the Great was, of course, emperor of the Grecian Empire, the Bible looked forward to a man who would be that empire's leader, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great only lived to be 32 years old. Only 32 years old, and yet when he had conquered the whole world, he sat down and cried because he had no more battles to fight. Isn't that something? Alexander the Great. I think it's one of the best nicknames ever. It's one of the greatest, right? I mean, uh, you just can't say it without saying it's the greatest. Alexander the Great made such an impact in a short amount of time. I don't believe that Alexander came up with his nickname. I don't think that Alexander said, you're going to call me the Great. It was just because of what he did. It was what he accomplished. It was the impact that he made over a short amount of time that people just came to call him the Great. This morning we've come to talk about the baptizer. John the Baptist. You know, the Baptist was not John's given last name. 
The Baptist was not Zacharias' last name. That wasn't Elizabeth's last name. That came to be his nickname. It came to be how he was known. And I want you to think with me about John the Baptist with me. I want you to think about him this morning. You have your Bible still open to Luke chapter 7. If you back up to verse number 20, the Bible says that when the men had come to him, to Jesus... They said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? The ones speaking here in Luke chapter 7 and verse 20 would be disciples of John the Baptist. And so his own followers looked at him, and that's exactly what they called him, John the Baptist. That's how he's described to Jesus. Now, a lot of you in the Scripture reading a moment ago in verse number 28 You have John the Baptist, just the way that Brother Jim read it. Others of you do not have it in that verse. You just have the name John. But if you drop down to verse number 33, Jesus is still speaking, and He says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. The point I want you to see is that the disciples of John called him John the Baptist. That Jesus Himself would refer to him as John the Baptist, by his nickname. This is how he was known. This was the only way that people really were able to distinguish him. And then you go back to places like Mark chapter 6, and you look at verse number 14, and notice what the Bible says. In Mark chapter 6, in verse number 14, the Bible says, Now King Herod heard of him, that is, heard of Jesus, for his, the name of Jesus, had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Now he dropped down to verse number 24, and you know you can read about the events that take place, but you have the the daughter of Herodias comes out and dances before the king and those who are with him. And the Bible says in verse number 24 that she, the daughter of Herodias, went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist And immediately she came in haste to the king, and she asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So not only did the disciples of John refer to him as John the Baptist, not only did Jesus refer to him as John the Baptist, but his enemies also knew him as John the Baptist. This is not a nickname. I just want you to know simply, not a nickname that John gave himself. But this is how he was known. This is how everybody knew him. He was John the Baptist. Why? Why was he known as John the Baptist? Why did everybody call him that? Well, it's not hard to get, is it? It's because of what he was doing. It's because of what he was about. He was about baptizing people. He was known as John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, more literally John the Immerser. It's what he was. It was it's all that he was about. And so this morning I want to look at that. I want to look at John the Baptist. I want to do so in four words. It's very simple this morning. Very simple for us to understand as we examine the life of John the Baptist, what do we see? Well, we see four things. All of these are connected to the divine. Everything that we're going to see about John is connected to God. Let me show you what I'm saying. Number one, 
when we look at John the Baptist, we're looking at someone with a divine mission. Mission. Now, you look in John chapter 1, and this is exactly what the Bible says concerning John. In John chapter 1, the apostle John, of course, is writing this gospel account. This isn't John the Baptist who's writing the gospel of John, but it's the apostle. But the apostle is writing about John the Baptist. And he says about him in verse 6 that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. It's a very simple point that I want you to get as we begin this morning in examining this life, that John the Baptist was sent with a divine mission. There was a man sent by God whose name was John. This was not somebody that was sent by another individual. This is not someone who was sent by another man or person. But there was a man who was sent from God. That should automatically cause our ears to perk up. Right? I am interested now in what this man is about. I'm very interested in what he does. Because he was sent by God. You underline things in your Bible. How about the word all in verse number 7? Verse number 7, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, to bear witness of Jesus, that all through him, through John, might come to believe in Christ. That's his mission. That's what he was coming to do. That's what he was all about. That's why God had sent him. Now, back up to Luke. Go back to Luke's account and look in chapter 1. And notice what we find in Luke chapter 1 and what the Bible has to say. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 13, an angel of God, catch it? An angel of God is talking to Zacharias, who would be the father of John the Baptist. And the angel says this in verse number 13, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, that is Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." John, what is your mission? His mission is to go before Jesus. His mission is to go and prepare people for the coming of Jesus. I want you to write that down. What's the mission of John? To prepare people for the coming of Jesus. That's the mission. He was sent by God to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. That's what he is about. John, you're to make ready for the coming of the Lord. That's your mission. That's what you're all about. And so as we think about John, I want to know, first of all, that he had a divine mission. Number two, I want to know that John had a divine message. This is all very foundational for us to understand to a greater point we're going to make in just a moment. And you're already racing ahead of me. I can tell, but don't. Listen to me. A divine message. Mission. 
a divine message. This is what the Bible teaches us about John. His message was very simple. Summed up in these words of Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, what's your mission? My mission is to go and to prepare for the coming of Jesus. My mission is to go and tell the people that He's coming. That's my mission. What's your message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is the message that I have come to present. But, well, look at it for yourself. This is His message. In Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, Luke is going to solidify for us in history exactly when John the Baptist is going to begin his ministry. And again, they would have understood exactly when this happens. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch of Icheria, and the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. For the Jews, he would say in verse number 2, Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. And it is then, at this point, that the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Again, we go back for just a moment to his mission. Isaiah says, there is one coming, and this is his mission. This is what he's going to do. And what he gives is a picture of West Texas. Did you know that? He gives a picture of West Texas. He says, all the mountains are going to be brought down and all the valleys are going to be brought up and nothing is going to be crooked. Everything is going to be made straight. And he gives a picture of West Texas. This is where we live. It's flat and it's straight. And he says, that's, what's, that's what your mission is, John. When Jesus comes, I don't want him having to cross mount, or climb mountains. I want you to bring the mountains down. I don't want him to have to go down in valleys and come back up. I want you to prepare his way. I don't want him having to go around all these bends and corners. You make his way straight. That's your mission. You prepare people for the coming of Jesus. What are you going to say? I'll tell you what I'm going to say. Underline it in verse number 2. What comes to John in the wilderness? The Word of God. That's my message. I'm going to prepare people for the coming of Jesus with the Word of God. I am not preparing people for the coming of Jesus with my words, John would say. I'm not preparing people for the coming of Jesus with my opinions, with I think or I believe. I'm coming to prepare people for Jesus with the Word of God. That's it. That's my message, John would say. The Word of God comes to John, and that is what he is going to preach. I want to do some more reading. Do you mind? Look in chapter 3 and verse number 8. Therefore, John is speaking in verse number 8. John himself is speaking, and he says, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. 
And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to the one who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Well, then the tax collectors came and to be baptized. And he said to them, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Verse 14, Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered and he said to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. What's he doing? He's preaching. What's his message? The message of God. And so as he's preaching, the people are coming and they're asking him questions. You underline in your Bible, look at verse number 10. The people, the people asked him, what shall we do? And he tells them, this is how you behave yourself like Christ. This is what Christ would have you to do. This is the word of God. And then you underline in verse 12, then the tax collectors came. Well, what did he say to the tax collectors? Don't collect more than you need. Don't collect for yourselves. Don't be greedy. And you underline again in verse number 14, soldiers, the people, the tax collectors, the soldiers. What shall we do? What shall we do? What shall we do? And what is John doing? He's telling them what God would have them do. He's not telling them his opinion or what he thinks they should do. He is telling them what God says they need to do. Soldiers, don't intimidate people. Don't do it worse than you ought Don't accuse anyone falsely. Be content with your wages. What's he doing? He's preparing people for the coming of Jesus. That's his mission. And he has a message, and that's what he's presenting to people. It's a divine message. It's a message that comes directly from God. Well, number three, he's got a divine method, doesn't he? He's got a way that he's going about doing it. And as you see there in Luke chapter 3, in verse 3, we read just a moment ago that his method for preparing people was to present the message of God, but to baptize. You see in Luke chapter 3 and verse 3 that he was baptizing with a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, and that's what the Bible says. Yes, he was looking forward to the cross. He was looking ahead to when Jesus was going to come and he was going to die, but his message was a message of repentance, preparing the way for Christ. His method about bringing about the remission of sins was baptism. Now back up to Mark chapter 1 again. And notice what the Bible says about him here. In Mark chapter 1, we're going to look together at verses 4 through 8. This was his method. This is how he got the nickname, isn't it? This is Bible making it very clear for us to understand. In Mark chapter 1 in verse 4, Mark records that John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. 
And then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and they were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey and he preached saying, There comes after me a one who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What's his method? It's baptism. You don't get the nickname, the baptizer, without baptizing. That was what he was about. That's what he came to do. That was part of his mission. As he was preparing people for the coming of the Lord, and he was uh, presenting this message that would come directly from God, his method of helping these people to be prepared for Jesus was baptism. That's what we read. And you can see, it's not hard to grasp, is it? It's right there in the text. It jumps off the page at you. And that's what we find. He was the Baptist. He was the immerser. Why is he called the immerser? You know what it means to immerse, right? You know, it's not a complicated word. Uh, my vocabulary, as you know, isn't that large. But I can understand immerse because I can understand bury. I can understand to dip or to plunge. And I understand that that's talking about going all the way under. I know that when I bury somebody I, or something in the yard, I don't just sprinkle a little dirt on top of it and call it buried. No, you dig a hole, you put it in the hole, and then you cover up the hole. That's immerse. That's what John was doing. And we see in John chapter 3, the Bible says in verse 22, that after these things, Jesus and His disciples came into the land of Judea, and there He remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was, underline it, much water. You see it? He's baptizing in this particular place because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. What was his method? His method of preparing the people was baptism. A baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. More on that particular baptism tonight, Lord willing. But I want you to see I want you to see it. He's got a divine mission a divine message, a divine method, and finally, number four, a divine model. What He provides for you and me. Why do we study this? Why is it important that we look at John the Baptist? I mean, he was before Jesus, right? So what does this have to do with you and I who are now living on this side of the cross and not that side of the cross where John was doing all of his preaching? He was preparing people for the coming of Christ, but you and I know that Christ came and that He accomplished dying for us on the cross for our sins. And so why are we looking at John? Because He provides for us a model. And my friend, this is important for us to understand. The model that you and I would do well to exemplify in our lives. You have a role model You have somebody in your life that you say, you know what, I admire that person so much that I would aspire to be more like that person. All of us, I hope, will have some kind of role model, somebody that we would look up to and and we would aspire to be like. Think about John. Think about the example of John. When John would say so simply, in my life, Jesus must increase 
and I must decrease. I'm telling you, brethren, we would all do well to follow that example. If all of us in our minds would just have that kind of mindset that says, you know what, I just want Jesus to be increased in my life, and I want me to be decreased. I want when people look at me, not really to see me, wouldn't it be great if they saw Jesus? That's what John was all about. He understood it from the very beginning of his ministry. He understood it even before he undertook the ministry. He understood that what I am really about is preparing people for the coming of Jesus. And ultimately what he knew, what he knew was that Jesus was going to increase and he was going to decrease. That's the mindset that I want. That's the mindset that we need to be about. You saw in Luke chapter 7 and verse 28. You can read also in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11 that Jesus would say that of those born among women, there is not a greater than John the Baptist. Wow. There's not a greater than John the Baptist. How did Jesus look at his cousin John? He's the greatest. He accomplished great things. He was sent on a mission with a message and he had a method and he did it and he did it well. Wow. That's how I want Jesus to look at me. How is that going to be possible? How would it be possible for Jesus to look at me, to look at you that way? Well, you jumped ahead of me. You're already there. It's only possible when I see that I have been sent with a divine mission. When I understand that God has said to me, when, when the Lord Himself has said to me, now living on this side of the cross, now knowing what I know, now knowing that Jesus did come, and that, that John did his job, and that the world was prepared for the coming of Jesus, and that Jesus preached, and that He died, and He shed His blood on the cross for my sin, what's my responsibility? Take that message because you have a mission. Go, go, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You take that message to those who are lost. That's what he's given me to do. That's what he's given us to do today. Those who are his children, those who are in a right relationship with him, you go and you take that message. You still there in John chapter 3? Drop down to verse number 28. John is still speaking and John says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears Him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. That's what John says. He must increase. You see it in verse 30? He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Now, just break it down for a second with me, please. This is important. I don't want to miss this. 
What, what brings these words of John out? If you back up a little bit, can I remind you that jealousy prompts these words of John? That, that Jesus and His disciples, we just read there in verse number 22, that Jesus and His disciples are out and they're preaching and people are being baptized by the apostles of Christ. And the disciples of John are looking over and they're seeing what the disciples of Jesus are doing. And people are leaving John and they're going to follow Jesus. And so they go to John and they say, Master, this isn't good. This isn't good. People are leaving you and they're going over to Jesus. This isn't good. And John says, this is exactly what was supposed to happen. This is exactly what I want to happen. This is exactly what I've been telling you. That I must decrease and he must increase. This is my fear. You listening? This is my fear. This is my fear that as we begin to emphasize even more than than before perhaps evangelism and people get excited, and I hope you do, You get excited to play a role in bringing somebody to Jesus. You get really excited about a part that you can play, whether you're the one who sits, who brings them, whether you're the one who sits down and studies, whether you're the one who baptizes them, but you you have a, a role to play in this. What I'm afraid the old devil will do, because he's so good at it, is he will make it into a competition. Saul has slain his thousands. David is tens of thousands. Look at how many he's baptizing versus how many he might be or whatever the case may be. You see how the old devil works? He turns this into a competition. And so the disciples of John are becoming envious of the disciples of Jesus. And they're looking at John and they're saying, will you become envious too? Will you be envious because people are leaving you and they're going to follow Jesus? And John says, I'll have none of it. This is not a competition. All of us would do well to have in our minds, He must increase and I must decrease. This is not a competition between us for how many we might be able to put on the tally list. That's not what this is about at all. But this is about what we as a congregation can do to bring people who are lost to Jesus. I can't save anybody. and Neither can you. I can't forgive anybody's sins. and Neither can you. This is about Jesus increasing and us decreasing. This is about taking His message to those who are lost Because soul winning is not a competition against each other. It's a competition against the devil. That's who we're fighting. And we need to be on the same end of the rope as we're fighting against him together. And it's only going to work if we use a divine method. You see in in Luke chapter 7, again, perhaps more on this tonight. But I want you to read it again in your own Bible. The Bible says that the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him, by John. You see, his method, it was, 
It was all he was about. It was his nickname. Everybody knew him by John the Baptist. If you just said John, that could refer to any number of people. It was a very common name in that day and time. But if you said John the Baptist, now everybody knows who we're talking about. It's that guy, John the Baptist. That's what he was about. That's all that he did. Went about teaching people about Jesus and baptizing people. Who today would say that people could have properly received the message of John and not have been baptized? Could you have properly received the message of John and failed to be baptized and be right? No. No, if you received the message of John, that was the natural response. That was what you were going to do. He was the baptizer. That was his message. As he was talking about Jesus, he was talking about baptism. Baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And so I'm asking today, why is it now, this side of the cross, when people talk about Jesus and they see all that Jesus had to say about baptism, why would we now come along and say, well, that's not necessary? I don't understand it. That doesn't compute. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Can you miss that? You've got to have help to miss that. Baptism is absolutely necessary for one to be saved. It's absolutely necessary. That's the message. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. Connected. It's connected. It's connected in Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all things that I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't we just want to make it as simple as John must have made it? He said, I didn't miss it. When John said it, he was the baptizer. That's what he did. Don't want to miss it. It wasn't a nickname that he gave himself. It was just a way that people knew him. They knew him by what he was doing. He was baptizing people. Listen, he was sent to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. Isn't that right? I want you to take those mountains and I want you to bring them low. I don't want you to create obstacles for Jesus. I want you to remove obstacles for Jesus. I want you to be, have people prepared for when He comes. He was sent to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. Brethren, isn't that our task today? Yes, it is. He's coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming. And people need to be prepared. What are we doing? He's coming, and people need to be prepared. I would ask you this morning, as you sit in that comfortable pew, are you prepared? Are you ready for the coming of Jesus? This morning, if the answer is no, no, you're not prepared. No, I'm not prepared. Or, you know what, I'm not sure if I'm prepared or not. That's a great question to ask, isn't it? I want to be sure. I just want to make sure that I'm prepared for the coming of Jesus because the Bible says that the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night, that He's going to come in a time that you don't expect. He's coming. And if you're not prepared, I have great news for you. We have a message, and the message of God is easy to see and easy to understand, and there's no reason for you to leave here this morning unprepared. You can come to Jesus today. 
Listen, I'm coming with an open Bible. Will you come with an open heart? Well, we, can we sit down and, and see and reason together from the Scriptures what the Bible has to say? Well, this morning you say, you know what? I've just been putting it off, but I know what I need to do. I'm ready. I'm going to respond to the invitation of the Lord today. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm ready to repent of sin in my life. I am ready to confess my faith in Jesus as the Son of God. I am ready to be baptized, to put the Lord on, to have my sins forgiven, washed in His blood. I am ready to respond to the Lord's invitation. Then why are you waiting? Wait no longer. This morning, if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, perhaps as a child of God, you've wandered away and you need to return. There's something amiss in your life and you need to make it right this morning. The Lord's invitation is extended. We invite you, we plead with you to come, please, while together we stand and while we sing.